We're in this scenario, in this event. There's two questions, but a very curious one that every time I've read this, the same thought goes through my mind. So, in Mark chapter 4, verse 35, the Bible says, And the same day when the even was come, he saith unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. There arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him, and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose, and rebuked the wind, and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. The wind ceased, there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? And they feared exceedingly, and said one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now we're going to go through these verses today, but the curious question is in verse 40. There's two questions, but the one I find Curious. Well, actually, both of them are related in that respect as being curious questions. But the first one strikes me every time I read the passage. Why are ye so fearful? In 1969, in a little town, which is still there, Pass Christian, that's the name of the town, Pass, P-A-S-S, Christian, Mississippi, they were bracing for, I mean, the whole area of the Gulf Coast was bracing for Hurricane Camille. Hurricane Camille is still on the records. I don't know if it is the strongest hurricane now. We've had Katrina. We've had quite a few. But at the time, it was recorded as the strongest hurricane as far as the winds being in excess of 205 miles per hour. It was on the record as being the strongest hurricane that we had ever seen here since they've been keeping records. Now, there was a group of people... And they decided, as some do, and we read about this from time to time, in a little apartment complex where they decided they were going to have a hurricane party. This is the attempt of man to say to God's nature, no matter what you do, we'll just carry on. Police came, as they do, and they were just warning people to get out, to evacuate. We've seen a lot of that in the last few years. But they refused. He actually threatened to arrest them, but arrests were never made. So the people partied on. And as Camille was coming closer and closer to the shores of Mississippi, of course there's other states there too, they recorded that the swells, the waves were in excess of 22 feet to 28 feet. So if you want some perspective of how big these waves are or were, think of the second to the third story of an apartment house. It's pretty high. Waves are coming in at two to three stories, winds at 205 miles per hour, and a group of people just shrug their shoulders and say, what can this do to me? This will have no effect on me, and they partied. The storm hit, and it totally devastated most of the hotels there on the Gulf Shore, bars and whatever else is down there, just totally annihilated the whole place, including that little apartment complex and all the people that were in it. When they went to view that particular apartment complex, there was nothing left. Nothing. Just rubble. Interesting to me, which I saw the providence of God in this, 
The only survivor was a five-year-old boy who happened to be clinging to a mattress when the rescuers showed up. 205 miles per hour, waves as high as maybe three stories, and a group of people say, we're not moving, we're not going to do anything. And here's an example of the complete opposite of what I want to bring to you today. Here's a group of people who should be afraid, and they're not. In the case of what we have here in the text, the disciples in the ship had every right to be afraid. But I want to just continue on just a little bit about the power of God's nature when it comes to water. I remember my dad would tell stories where he was in both World War II and Korean Wars as a merchant seaman. And I remember him telling one particular story of a storm at sea, of course, which they saw many, of waves coming over the top of the ship at 60 feet. That's the highest wave ever recorded is about 58 feet. But who knows what the highest wave ever was. But I remember my dad specifically saying 50 to 60 feet, five to six stories high. And when you're out in the middle of the ocean, well, there aren't any options. The storm comes up, maybe, maybe not out of nowhere, but it comes up. And I remember him saying, if it wasn't for the captain of the ship, in other words, the captain saved, spared all the lives. And what he did is he kept backing the ship up into the waves. So instead of trying to do as these people did, just stand there, party, and say, do what you can do, which is now a part of history, sadly. None of them survived. This captain took the ship and he kept backing it into the swells, into the waves, like a surfboard, and going with the waves. He spared the life of his crew, my father included. God and the power of nature, whether you talk about hurricanes, tornadoes, earthquakes, doesn't matter. We find ourselves helpless. We find ourselves in a position where we don't know what to do. But as I mentioned, I've always found it curious that here's 12 men, Jesus being 13, and one third of those men are fishermen. Now the Sea of Galilee is actually a lake. It's about 64 miles long, maybe twice the size of our Lake Sacandaga. It's a big lake, so we call it a sea. And it is subject to these sudden storms. Now, the waves coming into the boat during the storm in question here in the text of the event of Jesus' life, these swells were probably about six feet or so, which is my height. And that may not seem like a lot, but in a small wooden boat, especially as we read in the story here that the water is filling the boat up. Now, I think anyone can figure out that we are in deep, deep trouble. But to ask the question, why are you fearful, though it was rhetorical, seems to be almost absurd. Because unlike the people in the apartment complex there in past Christian Mississippi who showed no fear when they should have, these disciples are showing the proper type of fear that we all have and should have. And yet Jesus asks, why are ye fearful? Then goes on to ask a second question, why is it that you have no faith? If that's all that we had, we would look at Jesus and wonder just what is the point? I mean, why are we fearful? Four of them could say, we spent our entire life with our family business on this lake, on this sea. We've seen this before and we're smart enough to get off the lake. But again, a sudden storm is a sudden storm. If you're in the way of it, as my dad was during the Second World War, well, there's not a whole lot you can do except to pray a lot. Or in the case of my dad, to have a captain has the wisdom how to navigate through that storm and spare the crew. But even that, if you think of the Edmund Fitzgerald on Lake Erie, now if you've not been to Lake Erie, it just looks like this placid body of water. But just like the Sea of Galilee and other places around the world, 
Lake Erie is also prone to just sudden violent storms. And I knew a man whose dad was on that ship, went down with the ship. They think what happened is it got caught between two swells so that the middle of the ship just broke. When it comes to the power of nature, of God's nature, it is normal to fear because fear is appropriate. But Jesus is asking the question, why are you fearful? And how is it that you have no faith? Again, if we didn't have more that I'm going to give you at the moment, we would think these questions to be absurd. But you'll find a lot of encouragement today if your heart is prepared to receive it as to why Jesus asked that question. Why are you afraid? In the midst of everything that we're facing right now in the world, and there's more to come, why are you afraid? Now, again, if that was a serious question, every one of you would have an answer. We will go through the things that we all know and read about and have experienced to some degree, and we could talk about the obvious. And at the end of that, if I were to ask the question, why are you afraid of this or that, you would no doubt judge me as being very much not in touch with reality. And if we didn't know better from the outset about our Lord and our Savior, we would have judged him the same way. He's asking a question that, on the surface, seems to be a ridiculous one and an absurd one. But as we'll see through this message, it's not. So what I'm looking for here to do with you is to make the application of this event in the life of the disciples and of our Lord and bring it into our times Because the average person today does have something at least to ponder and to consider as being reason to be fearful in the correct sense of the word. And yet God tells us, Jesus tells us, be not afraid. Why? When everybody else is afraid. Why would he tell us, don't be afraid? First of all, let me just say quickly, fear in the days in which we live is warranted, but God says, It's not necessary for you that believe on me. Warranted, yes, but not necessary. It's something that we want to overcome. I've read this just yesterday, again, brushing up on the facts to make sure that my numbers were accurate. And again, there they were from reputable websites representing reputable medical science. You can do your own research. These are reputable medical scientists, researchers. They estimate that somewhere between 75% up to 90% at any given time of a patient in a doctor's office is there from a stress-related incident. That includes the heart, the lungs, and any organ that you can think of. If you watch my daily broadcast, we go through this day by day, little by little, about nervous symptoms. But this statistic isn't talking about just the nervous system. It's talking about your whole body. Keep that in mind, it's 75 to 90%. That doesn't mean the disease isn't real, but 75 to 90% of people that are in a doctor's office are there from a stress-related cause to the effect of the disease. Now, just to hasten to say, to be champion of the obvious, obviously you can catch a disease without being stressed or fearful or nervous, right? We understand that principle. But I have always maintained, and I still do, that so many of our illnesses are exacerbated by stress, nervousness, and fear. Let me just say this to you quickly. When you're ill, when you're sick, or whatever comes upon you, no matter what it is, control what you can control. You can control your fear. You can control your anxiety. You can control your depression, at least to a degree. And then whatever you can't control, we still trust in Jesus to heal and to deliver. 
Fear in our age is warranted, but because we have Christ, it is not necessary. But it's going to take some effort, as it was for the disciples in our text. It's going to take some effort to overcome it, especially when it is normal. Remember, there's many cases of anxiety, in particular, that the cause of the panic is coming from an irrational source, irrational thinking. Then if we go over in another galaxy to psychosis, we're talking about people who are completely irrational. But for rational people, there are so many things in our life that warrant fear because it's just a real danger, a real threat, but not necessary for the believer in Jesus Christ. And so 75 to 90% of people, this is from the experts, 75 to 90% of people are in a doctor's office. Somehow their condition is related to stress. And stress, by the way, is something we can control and often don't. Now, one of the reasons why Jesus asked them, why are you fearful and how is it that you have no faith, is based on the text there in Mark chapter 5. And he said to them, let us go into the ship and go to the other side. In my view, this is what he was referring to. Why is it you have no faith? I said, we're going to the other side. And though the storm came up, which he never told them about, and God has a habit of doing that, he says to us, follow me and go to the other side. And in our naivete and inexperience, we say, oh, this is great. I finally found peace and all of that. And like, if you haven't read The Pilgrim's Progress, by the way, that's a must read for every professing Christian. Read it a couple of times. I got to reread it again. It's been some years since I've read it. But I've read it a couple of times. And Pilgrim starts out from the city of destruction, and he meets with all kinds of difficulties and all kinds of temptations. And you must know that John Bunyan was a Puritan and actually had a lot of difficulties in his own life, including imprisonment by professing Christians. And we do too. You can relate to it if you are the real deal. If you're really a Christian, you can relate to Bunyan's account of the Pilgrim. Pilgrim's progress, not regress. Pilgrim never went back to the city of destruction. He says, you know what? It was pretty bad there, but this is worse. Okay, you read it for yourself. But when we look at this statement, he says, let us get into the ship and let us go over to the other side. That's what Jesus said to you when you gave your heart to him. You're going to the other side. And somewhere in between, when we face real dangers, not imagined dangers, that's another subject. When we face real dangers... We are fearful, and it's as if we can hear the Lord saying to us, in this age right now, why are you fearful? And we in our prayer closet say to the Lord, why am I fearful? And we look at things that are real, and we say to the Lord, Lord, there's every reason to be fearful, and deliver me from my fears. But you see, Jesus only has one answer for that, all right? He says, keep going forward. But like Bunyan in the Pilgrim's Progress, then we meet these giants, We find ourselves in the slough of despond. So we say to the Lord, I didn't know about all this. When you signed up, when I signed up, and Jesus says, I know. Because if I told you, you would be just like what I did with ancient Israel. If I had let them go the short distance to the promised land, Canaan, they would not have had the strength to deal with the enemies of the land. So I took them down, although there's lots of situations here we'd have to go through. But his plan was to take them down on a shorter trip than it eventually became. Train them, because remember, they're slaves for 400 years. They're not warriors. So that by the time they come to a warring nation or nations, they're prepared. If Jesus took us 
the way we would write the stories, we get say we directly go to the kingdom. We don't pass go. We don't have to collect $200. We just go right to the kingdom. That's how so many of you wrote out your salvation down here. Now you're shocked. We've been told that some of the enemies of Christianity would be right within our own house. It was shocked when it happens. I know I was, because I was naive and inexperienced. But now I'm not. Now I look at the scriptures and I say, yeah, that happened to me. And yeah, that happened to me. And these are things that we don't want to face. We just want to, as I've mentioned this to you so often, we just want to go home. You say, Pastor, what's wrong with that? Nothing if it's said with the right spirit. But before you go home, one way or the other, you will be in this war. And you may say, but I don't want to. And there is no exit strategy other than backsliding and walking away from the Lord. But then we say the way Peter did, where can we go? Is there another Savior? No. So now let me say it to you colloquially. We're stuck. We're stuck in this situation. Why we talk about, I wish I was born in the 19th century because we could walk through Central Park without being you know, violated and fearful. And we forget about the cholera outbreak through Africa and England and parts of Europe where people were dying, women were dying at an amazing rate, would die giving birth. The percentage was 50%. Why? Because they didn't know anything about sanitary behavior. Doctors were working on the cadaver trying to figure out why this pregnant woman giving birth died, gave up on it. There was pus in the abdomen, pus behind the eyes, pus in the brain. Do like this and go into the delivering room to deliver another baby and the patient dies again. Baby as well. They couldn't figure it out until Ignaz Semmelweis came along and figured it out. But nobody was washing their hands. So now we know this. Yeah, germs, bacteria, viruses. And the mortality rate dropped off precipitously as soon as people just started doing what's written in the book of Leviticus. Just washing their hands and washing them thoroughly. So wash your hands. And wash them frequently. And get in between. And get under your nails. Quarantine, by the way, is a biblical concept. I'm just not sure it's applicable in this situation, but I'll let that go. And so we live in a world where fear is warranted. But as Christians, it's not necessary. You've got to choose which one you're going to have. And you could be like all your friends and neighbors and join in the conversation and wear yourself into a state of anxiety, panic, disorder, and or depression. It's your choice. Me? No. I choose to say, though fear is warranted, it is unnecessary, because God hath not given unto me the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. Now, what are you going to choose? I'm telling you, fear is warranted. It's not imaginary like we have with so many cases that are more of a mental disturbance, mental disorder, than it is for the average person who has, well, every right, I should say every right. Yeah, that's a good word. Every right to be fearful if that's what you want. Or you can choose Jesus in how we see him here and how we have known him, resurrected, alive. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst. Once again, the uninitiated in the world, not always of academia, but whether intelligentsia or those who pretend that they're intelligentsia, they say to us, atheists in particular, one said to me just recently, Oh, he's still looking for his daddy in the sky. So again, I really wish at times I could just backslide for a moment and tell him what I'm really thinking. 
but I just have to block them and just go. Oh, they say, well, God is invisible. So is Bluetooth. So is x-rays, radio waves. Back when you had analog vinyl, and they came back into vogue again, and we all got rid of them because we went to digital and all this, and now they're all coming back again. Because analog is, in theory, at least better production than digital. And how all these things exist that we know of, nobody's ever seen an atom. And some things that can be seen with the eye under a microscope or an electron microscope, we don't see with the eyes. There's sounds that are above the normal range of hearing, of so many hertz here above and so many hertz below where we can't hear. But those sounds exist. And yet they try to present to us as an intelligent argument that because we haven't seen God, wind, for that matter, can't be seen. Many, many things that they already know cannot be seen, but the effect is there, like the wind. So fear, yes, is warranted, but it's not necessary for you. You choose. But if you choose to have the disease of fear, wear a spiritual mask. And keep 60 or 600 feet from me, because I don't want your fear. You keep that to yourself and have a party like these people in past Christian Mississippi, because you're going to find your walls blown in, because our refuge and our tower is high, and it's Christ. Amen. Choose. I choose Jesus. Now, he said that they would pass over to the other side, and that is, in my mind, once again, the reason why he asked them, don't you have any faith? And when we find ourselves in this position against real reality, the diagnosis, for example, that your doctor gives you on a certain condition that you may have or develop in the future, it's not saying it's not real. We're not Christian scientists. We're not saying pain doesn't exist. It's all in the mind. And the greatest way for me to prove pain is real to someone who says it's all in the mind is to have them stick forth their hand on a surface that can hold and withstand the pressure of a ball-peen hammer and just whack it with everything I have. And then as they scream and yell and roll on the floor, it says, it's all in your head. You don't have any real pain. Your hand isn't really broken. You just think it's broken. It's like the young man. He went past a Christian scientist, sat on the porch there and asked about his uncle. How's your uncle doing? He said, oh, my uncle is sick. And the Christian scientist said to this young boy, he says, your uncle only thinks he's sick. A couple of days went by again, and this young boy comes to this Christian scientist sitting on his porch again and asks about the uncle again. He says, how is your uncle now? And the boy says, he's getting very sick. And the Christian scientist said to him, he only thinks he's sick. Finally, the boy comes by a few days later, and he asks the young boy, how is your uncle? He said, well, now he thinks he's dead. <laughs> there are limitations to what the mind can overcome in reality. And for us, though Jesus, we don't see him and feel him and touch him any way I feel and see Bluetooth, I use it every day. And I know that it works and all the other things that you can think of as well. Yet he said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst. I don't see him, but I believe him. So fear is warranted, maybe, but not for you. We are not to be presumptuous either. Tempt the Lord. On the other hand, we don't have to walk around with the spirit of fear because it's not been given to us by God. Something that is amazing with reference to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, no one can validate these type of stories, but I was reading about a Chinese shaman, a woman, you know, spiritist, who people would come and ask, should they get married or something about this or something about that? And she would go into the spirit realm, small s, and give them these answers. And one day she got very, very ill, very, very ill, and they... We're taking her to the, this is a true story, 
And we're taking her to the hospital, and she started to swoon, to fade. And there was Jesus appearing to her and telling her that she had to choose him or to reject him. She came out of it. She was 100% healed, and now she is a believer in Jesus Christ. It reminds me of the story of Nabil Qureshi, who still works with Ravi Zacharias Ministries, full-blooded, well, he's American, was raised here in America, Pakistani parents, who as he was following Allah and following his God, he had a dream. And the dream, he says, as he explains his story, was of a door that was so narrow it could barely fit him height-wise, width-wise, and otherwise. But inside the door were all these people at a big, big feast. And he knew they were waiting for the host to come. Then the door was going to be shut. And he wanted to get in. Then the friend that was sharing Christ with him appeared in the dream and said to him, you must choose. And he as well chose Christ. But he never knew the scriptures. He had memorized the Quran, as so many devout Muslims do. But he never knew the verse that he says, once the bridegroom is risen, once he comes and shuts the door, there's not going to be any getting in. So we're under some type of time frame here that only God knows in our individual lives as well as the corporate picture here. But he chose, and now he's an apologist talking about Christ. Christ is alive. Christ has not given to us the spirit of fear. Choose which one you're going to have. And I want to help you here. It's natural to fear things that are to be feared by people who don't have Christ. But we have Christ. You understand that I'm not speaking to you as some type of armchair general. I'm not speaking to you because I've never had a problem. So I speak to all you commoners who have had problems that I can't relate to because I've never had a problem. I think from as many years as I can remember to this very day, my life has been nothing but a challenge. So I know what I'm talking about. We not only can, we must overcome in the name of Jesus Christ. We can and we must or be victimized for the rest of our lives. I refuse to be victimized by anything or anybody. Let me just tell you one other story that I think is very much related. Haitham Besmar was his name. 50 years, another devout Muslim. Again, memorized the Quran by the time he was five years old. To make the long story shorter, he gets diagnosed with this very... I want to say it was rare, maybe it wasn't rare, but very deadly disease that stuck behind his eye. He went to the hospital, they found out that it had now traveled to the brain. They told him that he didn't have very long to live, days perhaps. They moved him to another hospital. By the time he got to that hospital, they told him he wouldn't make the night. Muslim. Wouldn't make the night. Then, as he drifts off into sleep, as he told the attendants, whoever was there, could have been a nurse, could have been a doctor, both, He didn't want to be resuscitated, just let me go, I'm at peace and all that. Christ appears to him according to his testimony. Christ appears to him and says, you're not going anywhere, you're not done yet, your work is not done yet. He becomes converted to Christ, he's now a bishop in the church of God, he's an evangelist, got theological degrees, he's a 55-year-old man, and he goes on to tell people that he's lived for 50 years but only has five years experience. See, this is what happens when Christ comes into your life. By the way, I have heard stories, and again, I can't validate any of these stories. I can't say they're true, they're not true, I don't know, because they're totally subjective. I do know what has happened in my own life, for those of you who know my testimony, and I can relate to these things. And I do know that God has a voice, and he does speak, and it doesn't matter to me who doesn't believe it. It doesn't matter to me. Why should it? I know I'm saved. I know I'm touched and filled with the Holy Spirit. I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded and so on. 
I don't need to validate my story. I just can't validate other people's stories. And here's this man now, and we have several of them out there. I've been hearing this for some years now, because Muslims, that's in particular, you find Hindus and a lot of people out there saying the same thing, that Christ is visiting them in visions and dreams. We look at the second chapter of Acts, and that's what he says in those last days, 2,000 years now, I will pour out of my spirit, and your young men shall dream dreams, your old men shall see visions, or do I have it backwards? Visions and dreams in either case. And this is apparently happening, because once again, I can't corroborate, I can't validate the subjective testimony of somebody else, but I can corroborate and validate the word of God and what it says. Christ is alive. Buddha is dead. And the religious leaders of the world are all dead, but Christ is not. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it back up again. And this is what we have. Though fear is warranted, it is now for the Christian unnecessary. For to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. My friend Grant Jeffrey, now also home to be with the Lord, used to give a story about having a button on the chair there where you're sitting. That if you could go to heaven right now, would you push that button? Now, some of you say yes, but I say not so quick because I know you. And you have a choice to push the button and go to be with the Lord right now. And you say you would do it, but I know you. You say, oh, well, am I really going? Let me think about it overnight. If someone said, hey, this is kind of braggadocia. Punch my ticket anytime. I'm ready to go with the Lord. But it really gets down to it. When you're at that moment, you're saying, oh, God, heal me. All right, well, let's get it over with. Let's just deal with healing first and death later. Because at the hour when you're supposed to die, you won't have to push a button. God's going to push the button. And in that button is the word P-E-A-C-E, peace. And you'll know like, hey, it's over. I'm really done. So don't talk about pushing buttons and you want to go home. We're in a war and we need soldiers. We need fighters. We need prayer warriors. And let me say this to you, too, because, again, most of you are pretty old. Think about Moses. He was 120 years old, and he still hadn't been to the eye doctor. I have. That's apparent. Thankfully, my eyesight is not so, so bad. But I've been to the eye doctor. I've been to the ear doctor. I've been to the throat doctor. I've been to the head doctor. I've been to every doctor. I've got more to come. So I don't say that even I'm Moses. But there's a war going on, and we need you now. Don't talk about pushing buttons and don't talk about going home. The only people who talk about going home in war are either A, real casualties or cowards. And you are neither. You're not a casualty. You're not a victim. Christ has delivered you. Now put on your armor and get in the fight and do something. Get your spiritual sword. Put on the armor and get in the fight with the rest of us. And stop leaving us here on the field by ourselves while you say, I want to go. That's for casualties or cowards, and you're not a casualty, so figure it out. This is a war. We're not backing up. We're going forward. We're not digging in. We're going forward. We're not circling the wagons. We're going forward in the name of Jesus Christ. He said they would pass over unto the other side, and you're going to pass over to the other side because Christ has guaranteed it. I like warranties. And especially the ones that say this is guaranteed for the life of the machine. I feel comfortable with that. If something goes wrong and I didn't do it, the company says, we'll send you a new one. And Christ has said, I guarantee you're going to make it to the other side. 
The thing that he left out conveniently is that, oh, by the way, you're going to have a lot of obstacles in between. It's like having children. Why hasn't God written a book from the beginning of time saying, you want to have a baby? You'll have fun making the baby, but after that, it won't always be so much fun. You'll have fun when they're this little, and you can just throw them in the car seat and say, get in there. And then when they're 16, you can't do it. And you say, why, God? And he's, I don't know what God exactly does, but he probably laughs. He didn't tell you, didn't tell me, but that's life. Christ is in the ship, and the disciples never thought, though I don't blame them, they never thought that if they go down, he would go down too, and he has a mission to complete. I told you the story some years ago, coming back from my son's graduation from boot camp in the Marine Corps. This great storm was happening up here in upstate New York, what was happening throughout the country, 500-mile radius. Finally, we got on a plane, and I'm telling you, it was like a rubber ball. It was bouncing all over the place. This woman over here was terribly, terribly frightened, and I leaned over to her, and I told her this. I said, listen, ma'am, I'm a pastor, a minister of Jesus Christ, and God's not finished with me yet. This is how I actually rationalize, if you want to know. I'm not telling you a story here. This is how I actually rationalize my life. God's not finished with me yet. So I said, as long as I'm on the plane, you're safe. Oh, dear me. She couldn't wait to call her mother and tell her, because her mother told her, don't get on the plane. And she did. Mom is right a lot. Dad is always right. And she was so comforted by the fact that I told her. I could have been lying, but I wasn't. As long as I'm on the plane, we're going to land because I had to be here seven years later. And how many more God only knows? Jesus is in the ship. Jesus is on board. We cannot go down because I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. If you're in the same ship as Jesus is in, you're not going down because he's in the ship. And if you're to go down, that would mean that he would go down. He's not going down. He's already been down. And he rose again. He came back up from the dead. We are not deists. We don't believe that God was the watchmaker who wound the clock up, walked away, and he doesn't involve himself of our affairs. He doesn't really care what has happened to us. He just walked away. We are believers in Jesus Christ. We are believers in the transcendence of God that he's working in and through Our lives, life in general, right now, he's working out his plan. Fear may be warranted, but it is unnecessary. So I ask the same question to you as Jesus asked, why are you afraid? And don't give me the rational reasons, because I already know them. But why are you afraid? And I'll finish it now, because I'm in the ship. And if I'm in the ship, it cannot go down. Do you believe that? When Jesus said to Martha... Martha, your brother's going to rise again. And she went through the whole doctrine, which is true, about the resurrection and so forth. And he says, no, no, no. Your brother's going to rise in a couple of minutes. This paraphrase, right? He's going to rise in a couple of minutes because I am the resurrection. He's not just a Sunday school teacher or some other religious teacher. He says, no, 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 no. I'm the resurrection. I've got the power. I'm God come in the flesh. He asked Martha, he says, do you believe it? There's no evidence that she did. Mary comes out and repeats the same story. But Jesus comes after he wept, shortest verse in the Bible, and he says, Lazarus, come forth. This is who we have in the ship. Does it matter the size of the ship? I mean, Christ has a lot of ships out there. Some of them are mega cathedrals. Some of them are so packed that people can't get in. Some, not so much, little country churches, little buildings over here. 
Does it matter the size of the ship as long as Jesus is in it? This wasn't the ocean liner that these guys were in. This wasn't some unsinkable ship like the Titanic was unsinkable. The only true unsinkable ship was this one here because Jesus was in it. Is he in your ship? Do you believe it? And when you're confronted with real fears, not imaginary ones, real ones, can you say, well, fear is warranted, but it's not necessary in my case because Jesus is in the ship and I'm in the ship. Though the storm rages and the boat is starting to fill with water and we're starting to not doubt God, but we're starting to question him. God, do you really know what you're doing? It's not supposed to work out this way. I've read a lot of books. I mean, everything works out fine when you're a Christian. Listen to the modern preachers. Everything goes smooth. You want a car, just like that. You name it, you claim it, you frame it, and you proclaim it. And there you are with the nicest car in the neighborhood. You don't own a house, you own the whole block. Because you're the king's kid. Then I read about the prophets, and then I read about the apostles, and then I read about Jesus, and I say, they didn't live like that. They were killed, they were stoned, they were sawn asunder, they were rejected, they lived in caves, they lived in mountains. John the Baptist, look at his outfit. Look at his diet. But Jesus is still in the ship, and he can't go down, and neither can you. And neither can you. Let me just say this to you, because I know that many of you are in a great storm right now, of one kind or the other. Eurachlodon, that's named in the Bible, in the book of Acts, was a type of storm that brought everything with it. There was high winds and hail and high seas and thunder and lightning and everything. And Eurachlodon was one of the storms the Apostle Paul faced. Look at all the trials he had. And you're facing storm or multiple storms, and we'll call it Eurachlodon. And you're confused, but you shouldn't be. It's not warranted. God is not the author of confusion. Stay going forward. Jesus is in the ship. Great storms are opportunities for great achievement and also for great reverence and great awe. The last verse that we read, there's a bit of uh, irony in it, maybe humor. Why are you fearful? Why is it you have no faith? He steps up, he calms the sea, he calms the storms and says they feared even more. Who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? They were even more afraid. They saw the work of God. But perhaps not in the same respect. First, they were afraid of losing their life. Now they're saying, whoa, how close do we actually want to get to Jesus? Peter at one point said, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. See, this is what happens when you really encounter the one true God. When you see, look at, look at the book of Revelation. Here's John who knew Jesus. But when he sees the resurrected Jesus in the book of the Revelation, he falls down as if he were dead. And Jesus said, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He's not just the beginning, he's the end. He's going to finish it. He's in the ship. Let us go to the other side. How is it you have no faith? We're going to the other side. And great storms are opportunity for great achievement as well as great reverence and awe of God. Let me say it to you this way. That means you will become the real deal. I say this to you all the time for reasons of my own. Don't underestimate anybody outside of the kingdom of God that doesn't know the real deal from the poser. Have you ever met a braggart? When he brags when the tough guy's not around, then when the tough guy is around, he tones down or maybe shuts his mouth. Even the devils do that. They would open their mouths to everybody else, but when Jesus came around, they'd say, oh, please don't cast us out. Oh, please, well, at least let us go into the pigs. And there they go into the pigs. There's thousands, picture this, thousands of pigs rushing down 
And now picture them bobbing up and down in the water. Imagine the owner, Bob's Bacon House. <laughs> He's counting at the loss of profits from bacon. And they said, get out of here. It caused them even more fear when God actually showed up. We say, oh, God, show up. And maybe he'll show up in a way that we didn't expect. And we say, oh, God, please go home for a while. At the base of Sinai, they begged Moses, you speak to us. Don't let God speak to us. This is the fear of the Lord. But it does not mean nor imply implicitly or explicitly that we go around cringing at God. I'm just simply saying it creates a certain awe. A certain reverence. I told you the story many years ago as my wife and I sat in the living room on a summer night. We're sitting there with the windows open. We had no air conditioners and it was hot. Then all of a sudden, this front moves in. Rain, no big deal. Probably cool the night off. And all of a sudden, boom! And the entire living room and the sound were concurrent. I mean, the color was blue. You know, blue like on the flames on your oven? Blue, that color blue. And nobody had to say, Duck! Because both she and I, when it, boom, we just slumped down in our seats because it was right in the backyard. My son was playing basketball once, and we were telling him, better get in here. It looks like a storm, and a thunderbolt hit the tree. He's playing basketball. The tree is like here. He never saw it. Next day, I went out there, and it was a black stripe all the way around the tree, right to the base. Good thing for the tree. I mean, concerning my son. So that's the fear of the Lord. I'm not afraid of thunder now. I'm not afraid of lightning now, but I have a great respect for it. Greater than that night when that, boo, and the light lit up, and my wife and I are slouching the couch like this. Let me say, by way of illustration, God showed up. Now he may say back, didn't you want me to show up? I showed up. He shows up to John when he's on the island of Patmos, and John falls like he's dead, and he says, and Jesus says, didn't you want me to show up? Do you want him to show up? Maybe he'll do a few things we don't like. Maybe when he says, come on, let's get in the ship. Let's go to the other side. We may find that the swells are not only six feet, they may be 60 feet and filling up the boat, which is exactly what's happening in your life right now. Right now. What are you saying? Lord, don't you care about me? Don't you care that I'm perishing? But we're not perishing. Not by a long shot. We're not perishing. We are alive and we're going to stay alive because we've been given the gift of eternal life. Everlasting life. Let me finish by saying this. I share this frequently with you because I enjoy reading stories of people who overcome. And they don't have to always be Christians. Just a good story. A true story. As a kid, I read all the Marvel comics. Spider-Man, Daredevil, The Incredible Hulk. That's why my generation watches these Marvel movies, because we grew up on them. I like reading about winners, and I came across the name of Dave Goggins. Now, I don't know that he professes to be a Christian. I didn't read anything that said he did, but he is a real marvel. First of all, he goes into the Air Force, becomes part of the tactical command. That's an achievement. He didn't make it in the pararescue. That's what he wanted to be, so he didn't go back. His instructor told him, I don't think I would give up on this if I was you, and he did. But he went and became part of the tactical command. He leaves the service, and he gets a job spraying bugs. What do you call him? Um, bug killer. Exterminator. An exterminator. He swells up to 300 pounds. Now, he was a power lifter, so part of that would be the cause of him being 300-pound man. Then one day he sees an advertisement about Navy SEALs, and he decides he wants to be a Navy SEAL and go back in the military. <laughs> when he went to the recruiter, he says, 300 pounds. He lost 106 pounds in three months, which is not advisable, but he did it. So he could become a Navy SEAL. He failed out of the BUDS program three times. But he would not quit. 
became a very imposing figure in the military. He passed the ranger school, army rangers, because, you know, they trained together sometimes. Became a Navy SEAL. He is an ultra-marathoner. He is a triathlete. He's a lot of things. He did over 4,000 push-ups in 17 hours. By the way, Jack LaLanne did 1,000 push-ups and 1,000 pull-ups in one hour when he was 45 years old. How many of you can do 1,000 pull-ups and 1,000 push-ups? How many of you can do one push-up? <laughs> and barely. Well, Jack LaLanne, as far as I know, didn't profess to be a Christian. And I don't know much about David Goggins. I do know this much. If human beings can say, I will, then how much more can we say, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me? How much more? Now, that's something to consider. That's what I'm going to leave you with. Why are you afraid? Why are you afraid? And we can have all the reasons why. And I have them too. I just refuse. I'd rather suffer. I'd rather suffer than be a coward. I'd rather suffer than renege on my Jesus who said, Ray, well, Pastor Ray to you. He doesn't call me pastor, but you will. You're going to the other side. And you know what I say? We're going to the other side. Let everybody else say whatever they want. Let them, God help them, be overcome with the spirit of fear. But that's not for you. And that's not for me. So why are you fearful? And how is it that you have no faith? How about we turn that around? Start today by doing a push-up and a sit-up, spiritually speaking. Let's pray. Oh, God, we bless you. Father, we praise you. To be able to move through in our pain. To be able to move through in our anxieties and depressions. To be able to refuse to do anything, including stand still, and certainly not go backward, but to go through and to push forward, saying, I can and I will. I can, therefore I will. I can, therefore I will do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Lord, today we have every right to be afraid of many things, but it's not necessary. We come up against the fears of this age and declare our independence from them. Just the way our founders declared independence from Britain, we declare our independence from real threats and real dangers because Christ is in our ship, or rather we're in Christ's ship. That's better. We're in Christ's ship. And Christ cannot go down. And we cling to you, Lord. We cling to you. You are our tower. You are our fortress. Oh, we bless you today. Let us not only be able to get up on a sunny day when the skies are clear and the humidity is low and everything is perfect. And say, oh, this is the day the Lord hath made. But when the sky is overcast and there's a threat of thunder, of high winds and ultimate danger... Let us be able to say, this is still the day the Lord hath made, and I will rejoice and be glad in it. Oh God, we bless you. As you ask us now, why are you afraid? Why are you fearful? And how is it you have no faith? You encourage our hearts by letting us know, I'm in the ship, and you're in the ship with me, and we will make it to the other side. So we bless you again, God. In Jesus' mighty name, we praise you. We thank you for all good things come from your hands. And our storms, our great adversities and trials are also great opportunities for achievement and for more reverence and awe of your great and mighty name. We bless you and we praise you. From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, the Lord's name is to be praised. Your praise is never more acceptable to God as when you do it when you're in the valley. 
And your praise is never more pleasant and pleasing in the ears of God as when you do it during the great storms of life. Because anyone can praise God when the sun is shining like it is today. Anyone can praise God when everything's going well. Real praise is pleasing to God when it's not going so well, but we still have the victory. So once again, God, another week has come and it's going. This Lord's Day will end, but we will never end because we've been given the gift of eternal life. God, I pray for all my friends that are here, those that have been watching the live stream, those that are listening by way of radio, that they would remember that Christ is in the ship. For those that are not in the ship, that they would get in. And for those that are, that they would remember the ship will not go down, not ever. Hallelujah. You're sovereign, King of kings, and Lord of lords. Bless all my friends, my brothers, my sisters that are here today, and help them to enjoy all that you give freely. Father, we pray that today in Jesus' mighty name. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.